This is the So You Talk to Cows podcast, a podcast for current and aspiring agricultural communicators. This is the last episode of 2023, and because I focused my fall episodes around crisis communications, I brought in a scientist and communicator that deals with crisis every day. Catherine Hayhoe is an atmospheric scientist at Texas Tech that focuses on developing and applying high-resolution climate projections to evaluate future impacts of climate change on humans and the environment. She's also a scientist that communicates about the climate crisis through social media, interviews, public speaking engagements, and she's even written several books. Dr. Hayhoe is a Paul Whitfield Horn Distinguished Professor at Texas Tech University, and she is the Chief Scientist for the Nature Conservancy. Dr. Hayhoe, I'm so honored that you're joining us today. Let's start with you giving us your background and history. I'm an atmospheric scientist, which means that I study the atmosphere. And specifically what I study is how humans are changing the atmosphere. We've been changing the atmosphere for a very long time through pollution. In fact, the first pollution legislation was passed by King Edward III in the 1300s. Because people burning coal within the city limits of London were creating such a terrible problem that they were forbidden from burning coal when the queen was in residence. Oh, if she wasn't in residence, then they could do whatever they wanted, apparently. But when she was there, they had to stop. And the penalty was death. So since then, we've come a long way. And we now know that pollution is actually responsible for one in six deaths around the world. That's air, water and soil pollution. And that, of course, relates directly to agriculture. But for the last few hundred years, it isn't just about the pollution that we breathe in that we can see with our eyes. It's about the pollution of heat trapping gases that are building up from burning coal and gas and oil. That's about 78% of the problem. And then 22% of the problem is land use change like deforestation for agriculture and emissions of heat trapping gases from ruminants, especially cows. And a lot of that comes from agriculture, from their belching and from their manure. And these heat trapping gases are a problem because they are building up in the atmosphere, wrapping an extra blanket around our planet, causing it to warm faster than any time in human history. And that's why this matters is because this warming is affecting us. It's affecting our crop yields. It's affecting our water availability. It's affecting our weather extremes that we get so many of in Lubbock and in Texas. Mm -hmm. It's affecting every aspect of our lives. So that's why today I'm often known not just as an atmospheric scientist, but as a climate scientist, because I'm studying the climate changes that are being driven by human activities and specifically how they're affecting us, our lives and our livelihoods. Okay. So you're a scientist, but you also communicate a lot. So tell me about your desire to do so, uh, some of the things that you do to communicate uh, scientific information, and just how you got started doing that. Well, my first degree, my undergraduate degree is in astrophysics. And (laughs) that is a fascinating field of study. But when I was almost finished my undergrad degree, and this is a good argument for requiring our students to take breadth requirements. Uh Um, I needed an extra class that was not in my major program. So I looked around and there was this brand new class at that time over in the geography department. I didn't do my undergrad at tech. I did it at the University of Toronto. And this class was on climate change. I thought, well, that looks interesting. Why not take it? (laughs) So I did. And that was where I learned, first of all, that atmospheric science and climate science is the same physics that I've been learning in my physics and astronomy classes. In fact, I had taken a class on planetary atmospheres. And obviously that's what I study is the atmosphere of our planet. Mm -hmm. 
But I also learned how urgent this issue was. I thought of it as a future issue that we could worry about in the future. And I learned, and this was a number of years ago, obviously, I learned that it's no longer a future issue, it's now. And then most importantly, I learned that it's not only an environmental issue. Because I had always thought of climate change as an environmental issue that environmentalists could work on, and then the rest of us could work on the issues that we care about, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> but I learned there that climate change is, of course, it is an environmental issue, but it's also a health issue. It's also a food issue. It's a water issue. It's an issue that affects our kids and our economy. It even has geopolitical ramifications. It's an everything issue. And so to care about this issue, I realized you don't have to be a scientist or an environmentalist or an activist. You just have to be a human being living on this planet who wants a safe place to live, clean water to come out of the tap, food on the, on the shelves in the grocery store, a good job for yourself and a good place for your kids to grow up. If that's what you care about, then you care about climate change, whether you know it or not, because that's what climate change is putting at risk. And if that's the case, then everybody needs to know this. It's not enough for scientists and researchers to know about this. People need to know that this affects them and they need to know that they can do something about it. Because if we aren't all involved in this, we're not gonna fix it. So that's where communication comes in. I feel like we could do the best science in the world, but if people don't know why it matters to them and what they can do about it, then why bother? Sure, sure. So what are some of the strategies that you use to get the word out? Obviously you do podcast interviews, but what else? <laughs> well, what I've realized is that if, if everybody already has the reasons they need to care, then the most important thing we can do as communicators is help people make the connection between what they already care about and how it's being affected by these issues and what they can do about it to make a difference. So rather than starting with the reasons I care, I care because I'm a mother, because I'm Canadian, so I love snow, um, because I'm a Christian. I think Christians are, are told to care for and love others. And because obviously I live in Texas and Texas is one of the most vulnerable states in the country to these crazy weather extremes that we're seeing getting stronger and more dangerous in a warmer world. But other people might care because they are a producer. They might care because they work for a water district. Um, they might care because their child has asthma. Um, they might care because they're concerned about where their water is going to come from or because they live in a city that floods or because their business or their supply chain is being affected. And many businesses are already talking about this issue. Businesses like Amazon and McDonald's and Cargill and Walmart and even Mary Kay, they're all talking <laughs> about this issue. So. In terms of communication, I feel like it's most effective to start where people are at and to go where people are. So rather than um, starting something new, often I spend a lot more of my resources and my time on say social media where people already are, or um, rather than doing my own podcast on other people's podcasts where they're talking about issues that they care about. Writing for um, magazines, everything from good housekeeping <laughs> to, oh, cool. yeah. to um, you know newsletters for water districts. Um, really trying to reach people where they're at, where they're already consuming information to show them that whoever they are, whatever they care about, they're already the perfect person to care about and support action. So in, in this, the topic, um, it, it has become politicized. It's a hot button issue for a lot of people. Um, how, how do you go about, um, you know, when, when people just won't hear it, um, 
what, you know, and I know a lot of that is connecting with them where they are and finding those reasons that they care about, but what are, I guess, what do you do when the haters come? How do you handle that? Well, unfortunately there are haters. There's quite Mm -hmm. a few of them. And although polling data shows that people who are truly dismissive of this issue and I would define someone dismissive as they would dismiss 200 years of science, 2000 climate scientists, 2 million climate science studies. They would dismiss an angel from God with tablets of stone (laughs) saying that this is real, wake up. So thankfully, surveys show that only about 10% of people are truly dismissive. Okay. But I would bet that we all know a few people. I certainly do. We might have someone in our family. I do myself too. And they're the people who will not give up like a dog and with a bone. They will not give up saying it's not real. It's a hoax. You're just doing this to make money. It's natural cycles. Green energy is a hoax. You know, wind energy kills more birds than fossil fuels, which is absolutely not the case. It's quite the opposite. Um, And the best thing we can do with someone who's truly dismissive is to say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Now let's talk about something else. Did you know Texas is a national leader in wind and solar energy? Did you know, yes, did you know that here at Texas Tech, we are implementing all kinds of cutting edge solutions for dryland agriculture and preparing for drier and more variable conditions so people can continue to thrive. Let's talk about something positive. But if people like that are on social media, they often don't wanna have a positive conversation. So sadly, we just have to block those people. In real life, again, we can say, I'm sorry you're wrong, or if they're a relative, I love you, I'm sorry you're wrong. (laughs) Now let's talk about something else, good news. 90% of people are not dismissive. Now the loudest voices typically are, but there's a lot of people who aren't dismissive. And they're starting with what we have in common, starting with building a bridge rather than digging a trench is really the way to have a positive, constructive conversation. Because, you know, if we begin any conversation with something that we're arguing over right away, it's not likely to go in a positive direction. But if we can ask questions and figure out what that person cares about, and then have a conversation about that, whether it's fishing, whether it's, you know, the way things used to be when we grew up in Lubbock, whether it's their children or their grandchildren, whatever it is that they care about, start there, connect the dots, and then talk about how there's solutions here today that we can already work on, whether you're a farmer or producer, whether you're someone who lives in town, whether you work for a city or a private organization, or you're a student, there's lots of things you can do. And that's what a lot of the classes I teach here at Tech are about. They are offered to students across the um, curriculum. Any student can take my classes and they always come away empowered with ideas of how they can make a difference. And I love that because isn't that part of why we do what we do? Yeah, 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 good. So so on that topic, and I'll, you know, the target audience for this podcast is my students. Um, so what are some things that students can do, you know, graduate, undergraduate students, what, what can they do to be part of the solution? Mm-hmm. So often when people say climate change or global warming, they immediately think of recycling or changing their light bulbs or getting an electric car or when they eventually buy a house getting solar panels or um, eating less meat. And those are all ways to reduce our personal carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. But even if all of us did everything we could to reduce our personal carbon footprint, that wouldn't fix the problem. Okay. Because it's a system wide problem. And so Bill McKibben is an author and a writer and a thinker in this area. And actually we archive Bill's writings at the Southwest Collection on campus. And Bill has said something really cool. He said, the most important thing an individual can do right now 
is not be such an individual. And what he meant by that is rather than focusing exclusively on our carbon footprint, think about our climate shadow. Think about the way that we interact with people around us and the way that we can influence people around us. And the number one way we can do that is by using something that every single one of us has. And I would venture to say that the younger you are, the better you are at doing this, using your voice. Okay. So we have examples now of young people here in the US and around the country and around the world who are using their voices to really make a difference, to stand up and say, this is a serious problem. We need solutions at scale. And they're not just doing it globally. They're doing it within the companies where, they, where they've chosen to work. They're doing it within the cities where they live and the counties where they live. They're doing it within their friend groups, the organizations they belong to on campus, the universities they attend. Using our voice is so effective. And sometimes we can use our voice to say, hey, you know, I actually tried this personal solution and it really, it saved me money or it made my life easier. Or I feel really good about it. Maybe you should do it too. But we can also say, hey, I heard that this university over here did this. Well, why isn't our university doing this? We want to be a leader, don't we? And something students often don't know, I feel like, Erica, is that the university listens more to students than it does to faculty because the university pays our salary, but students pay their salary. Exactly, exactly. And so students <laughs> actually have more powerful voices when it comes to changing institutions like the university, I feel, than the faculty themselves. Awesome. Very good. So um, this semester, my my class is on risk and crisis communications with climate. Are we still in risk mode or are we in crisis mode? What's what's your take on that? Well, sadly, I think we're heading into crisis mode. Okay. And let me tell you why. So first of all, we've known about this issue since the 1850s. That is how long scientists knew that digging up coal back then and now you know more oil and gas today and burning it produces these heat trapping gases that are building up in the atmosphere wrapping an extra blanket around the planet. But back then scientists thought it would take hundreds to thousands of years to see the changes that we're seeing today. And the reason for that is because the growth in our heat trapping gas emissions our carbon pollution emissions wasn't linear it was exponential. Mm. This is a crazy statistic I calculated that over two thirds of our global carbon emissions have been produced since I was born. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, 150 years ago, we knew about this problem, but it wasn't a big problem back then. Right. But it's been increasing exponentially, which is just crazy. And so what we're seeing right now, and this is the latest hot off the presses, we're seeing that the rate of change, the rate at which the planet is warming is accelerating. And we're also seeing that the impacts are not just changes in our average conditions. It's not just that our winters are getting warmer and our summers are getting longer. We're seeing that the weather dice are getting loaded against us. And that is particularly impactful in Texas because Texas already has more billion dollar weather and climate disasters than any other state. Mm -hmm. And that's because of our geography, because we get hurricanes because we're on the Gulf. <laughs> we get heat waves, we get heavy rainfalls, floods, droughts, but we also get wildfires. We also get ice storms. We also we get, we get every all of type of crazy weather. I think the only the only thing that we don't get is glacier outburst 
glacier lake outburst floods. That's like the only type of crazy weather we don't get. That's because we don't have mountains tall enough. Yeah. <laughs> so we already have the worst weather in the US. And in fact, <laughs> Lubbock won the Weather Channel's wild weather competition back 10 years ago. I remember that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> And the biggest way that climate change is affecting us humans today is by making these naturally occurring events stronger and more dangerous. Because for, let's take hurricanes. Hurricanes get their energy from warm ocean water. Well, 90% of the extra heat that's being trapped inside the climate system by this blanket we're wrapping around the planet is going into the ocean. So it's powering much stronger storms. The one that hit Mexico recently, the one that hit Acapulco, it ratcheted up from a tropical storm to a category five in 12 hours. That is unheard of. Yeah. And so something that normally would have been a tropical storm is now a category five hurricane. A drought that would have lasted maybe a few weeks is lasting months. A heat wave that would have lasted a few days is lasting weeks. Uh, a heavy rain event that would have dropped five inches is dropping 10 inches. And Texas is right in the crosshairs of these impacts. And so that's why this is becoming a crisis because the Federal Reserve of Dallas calculated that for every two degrees warmer our summer is, our economy, our GDP is making having measurable losses. Multiple percent is lost of our GDP for each crazy temperature record that we're setting every summer. And this last summer was a classic example. So it's no longer a future issue. It's no longer an environmental issue. It is an economic issue. It's a health issue. It's um, obviously related to agriculture and water issue. It's a Texas issue. And that means everybody is being impacted, but that means also everybody has a part to play in helping to fix this because Texas has more potential to build out clean energy and to build climate resilience into our farming, our water and our cities, I believe than any other state. We truly can be an example to the world if we want to be. Awesome, good. I don't have any other questions, but is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I think it's just really important to emphasize, again, that not only is this a serious issue, but we're already moving ahead with solutions. So um, I have this weekly newsletter that we're talking about called Talking Climate. And just this past week, it was all about Texas. So here in Texas, you know, you mentioned how this is a very politicized issue. And it became politicized not back when scientists first discovered it, it became politicized when people realized we need to do something about it. That's when it got political. But the reality is, of course, you know, a thermometer isn't Democrat or Republican and a, a hurricane doesn't stop and knock at your door and say, excuse me, who did you vote for in the last election before it rips the roof off your house? Right. So here in Texas, a recent survey from UT Austin showed that 40% of Republicans recognize climate change as a threat. And that is a huge advance. 92% of Democrats recognize in Texas, recognize it as a threat. There is a energy and climate caucus in the state house that has 10 Republican members as well as a bunch of Democrats. We have more wind energy than any other state. And this year, Texas passed California for the most utility scale solar of any state too. We have, and then people always say to me, well, don't you know the sun doesn't shine at night? And I'm like, oh, shocker. <laughs> Never heard that one before. But here in Texas, we are scaling up 
battery storage on the grid really quickly, exponentially, in fact. And we're exploring all kinds of crazy ways to store cheap wind and solar energy when we have too much of it during the day, from pumping compressed air into salt caverns to raising massive bricks made of dirt so that when when you don't have electricity, they can slowly drop generating electricity. There's crazy things that people are doing all across Texas. And I really believe that Texas could be a clean energy leader if we could just get our house in order. And that's where our students come in. You might be going out to work for a company or a city, some type of organization, or you might be serving as an intern or an aide in the state legislature. Whatever you're doing, you have a voice and you can tell people, hey, I'm proud of what we are in Texas. I'm proud of how far we've come and what a global leader we are. But as the world is changing, we need to change too. And the faster we change, the more we're gonna be out ahead, continuing to lead. And that's a perfect way to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Dr. Hayhoe, for participating in the podcast. If you need guidance in developing your organization's crisis communications plan, please see my textbook, The Crisis Communications Guide for Agriculture, Food, and Natural Resources, available on Amazon. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with a new set of episodes in early 2024.